Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's Sermon Podcast. If you'd like more content like this, visit us on our website at www.surechurch.com. The following sermon was preached on January 10th, 2021 in Brandon, South Dakota on the basis of Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. This morning, our gospel text is taken from Matthew chapter 2. What we're going to do is I'm going to read it now for us, and then we're going to to go back and we're going to walk through it throughout the sermon as well. This is the story of the, the Magi or the wise men. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for this child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went, out, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is God's Word. Happy Epiphany! <laughs> it's exciting, right? Uh, through your masks, I can see that some of you are smiling, some of you are nodding your head, and if you're smiling and nodding your head, um, I'm kind of wondering, uh, are you just doing that because I asked if you're excited, or do you actually know what Epiphany is? If you don't, I don't blame you one bit. It's kind of something that we celebrate once a year. And then the next year, we we kind of forget about what we celebrated the last year. It's not a celebration that is quite on par with Christmas and Easter for us, but Epiphany is is a big deal. So let me give you the, the rundown of Epiphany real quick. Epiphany is the 12th day after Christmas. And so this works out to be on the calendar January 6th, which happened obviously this last week, but we get to celebrate it today. If you were to go on Google and type in Epiphany in the, in the search engine, um, you would find that Epiphany means manifestation or revelation or appearance, the, the appearance of something. And you might actually have heard of the word epiphany just outside of the church before. Someone might say, I've had an epiphany. Have you heard somebody say that before? And you know what they're meaning when they say that. Uh, Things have been made clear in my mind. 
Something has been revealed to me that I didn't once know. Something has appeared to me and now I have an idea. Now I, I get it. Well, in the history of the Christian church, that, that description of epiphany as appearance or revelation is something that we have celebrated. And we kind of take it from a couple different passages here, both from Titus. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God, the red is maybe hard to see there, the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. We read that on Christmas Eve, for our Christmas Eve service. But when the kindness and love of our God, of God our Savior, appeared, Titus 3.4. And so for, for many years, Christians have, have celebrated the appearance of of Christ. Now, the question that came up in Christians' minds was, what appearance are we celebrating here? Are we, are we celebrating the appearance of Jesus born in the manger? Some said yes. Others argued that the, the appearance of Jesus that we should be celebrating on Epiphany was his baptism. This is when he appeared, when he began his ministry. And so for a few years, people argued over what appearance we were going to celebrate on, on Epiphany. It wasn't a big argument. It really was rather inconsequential. It just determined what the preacher was going to preach about on, on Sunday morning. But it comes to be the middle of the, the 300s AD, so we're going a long ways in the past. And the western side of the Roman Empire, which was like Italy and France at that time, it was a far-reaching um, empire. The western side of the, the empire started teaching and preaching on Epiphany and celebrating the revelation of Christ to the Gentiles. The appearance of Christ to the Gentiles. And for, for those of you, you might know this, a Gentile is a, a non-Jew. So there were the Jews and then there were the people who weren't Jews. And the western side of the Roman Empire began celebrating that Jesus came not just for the Jews, but he also came for the Gentiles, a couple weeks ago we talked about Simeon and, and Simeon in his praise of, of the Messiah that he saw, he said this will be a light to lighten the Gentiles. And so from the middle of the 300s AD all the way to today, that's what we've celebrated on Epiphany. Simply put, that Jesus came to be the light for all people. And, and so it's fitting that our story for today is the Magi. Now, a little backstory on, on the Magi here. Uh, you may have heard it pronounced Magi, Magi. Uh, maybe, you've heard, maybe you've only heard wise men before, but it had a little bit to do with what their profession was. They came from a faraway country in the east. That's about as specific as it gets for us. And they were wise men. They were smart. They were intelligent. They were well-versed in a lot of different areas, and they had to be because their profession was that they were advisors to the emperor of their country, of their nation. If you go all the way back to the time of the, the Persian Empire, we, we see these magi there. They were the advisors to the, the king. And so if the king needed some help in ruling the people, who would he turn to? Well, he would turn to the, the wise men. These were his counselors that would give him advice on how to rule. We still have that in governments today. You have advisors, you have cabinet members, you have people that give you advice on how to rule, how to reign. And that's what the magi, the wise men were, and they were compensated very well for that. These were very wealthy men. 
So that's a little backstory on the Magi. Now we jump into our, our story, and we're going to kind of walk through it piece by piece here. So at this specific time, uh, Jesus has already been circumcised, so that, that's eight day, that happened on his eighth day on earth here, as was the Jewish custom. And then on day 40, remember what happened? He was presented in the temple. That was the, the Jewish custom as well. And so uh, we believe that Jesus was somewhere between 40 days old and two years. So we, we have a little gap there, but that's about how old Jesus was. It seems like Mary and Joseph were no longer in the stable with the animals where Jesus was born. They have now found a place to, to live and stay in Bethlehem at this point. Now, now, very early in our section, you heard about the, the ruler of Judea at that time, the king of Judea, that was Herod the Great. It, it said king, this was the time of King Herod. And we actually know a lot about King Herod um, because he was written about a lot by secular historians at the time. Herod was a great builder. Uh, he built three extremely significant things. If you're, if you're really interested in, in some architecture kind of stuff or, or in fascinating uh, engineering of, of ancient times, it is really fascinating to look up the, the seaport that he built at Caesarea. It's just a, a marvel of that time that, that they were able to, to come up with something like that. They, they also built at that time a, thing, a palace called Masada, which was on a really tall plateau that overlooked the Dead Sea. It's still there today. If you ever go and visit Israel, if you go on a Holy Land trip, you'll see Masada there, an incredible palace. But perhaps the most important thing that Herod built for the Jewish people was he rebuilt the temple. And that was a big deal for the Jewish people, as you could imagine. And some people would still call it Herod's temple. He was a very successful man and a, a great leader in some respects. But Herod was also a brutal man. He was a paranoid king. He loved his power and he was going to hold on to his power with, with whatever he, he could do to do that. <laughs> and so that means he, he killed people that were a threat to his throne. He, he killed his own wife. He, he killed some of his own sons. That's how, how desperately he wanted to hold on to his power. And so you could imagine that these magi that traveled from the east, they get to Jerusalem, and they're going around Jerusalem. And they're asking people, where is the king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. We've brought him gifts. Where is he? Now, now we think of the wise men sometimes as just three people, uh, because there were three gifts, right? But we don't know how many people there were. There, there might have been a, a larger number of wise men, and on top of that, they would have come with their servants, they would have come with all their possessions and, and their camels and their defense and all that kind of stuff. And so this is a big group of people coming into Jerusalem. Word kind of gets around that they're asking for this king of the Jews, and word gets back to Herod. And you can imagine, since the people of Jerusalem knew Herod and they knew his reputation, they didn't want that to get back to Herod, because if Herod heard that, that would be bad for everyone, but it does. The word of the Magi get back to Herod that they're looking for this king of the Jews, and it says that Herod was disturbed and all of Judea with him. They knew that if Herod was angry, this was not going to be good for anyone. And so what, Herod, what does Herod do first? He hasn't yet even talked to the Magi yet. But what he does is he calls in his advisors 
He calls in his counselors. He calls in the teachers of the law and the chief priests, and he says, where is this child to be born? Now, the, the teachers of the law and the, the chief priests seem to know the Old Testament pretty well. We've, we've referenced this passage quite a bit in the last few weeks. The Micah 5 passage where, where it says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And they quote that verse or a condensed version of that verse to Herod. They say that this baby is going to be born in Bethlehem. So Herod has some of the knowledge that he needs, and now he's going to investigate. Where, where exactly is this baby? How old is this baby? And so he calls the Magi in, and it says he does so secretly. And the first thing he asks them is, when did that star appear? You've been talking about this star that you followed. When did that star appear in the sky? He's trying to determine how old the, the baby was. This would come in handy for Herod later as the massacre of the innocents takes place. And then he says to the Magi, go to Bethlehem, find the baby, and then, and then come back and tell me so that I too may go and worship. Now, now the Magi, we don't know what they knew about Herod. They, they probably didn't know much. They were from a foreign land. They weren't familiar with Herod. And so they probably took him at his word in some respect that they would come back and they would tell Herod and then Herod would go and worship this king as well. But God obviously knew everything that was going to happen here and so he, he sends the, the Magi a dream, and they end up going back a different route. They don't come back to Herod. So they leave the palace, and they go to Bethlehem. The star appears in the sky again. They're overjoyed at seeing that star, because that star is what's going to lead them to the true morning star, to Jesus. And they find Jesus in a house with his mother, Mary. They bow down, they worship him, they give him their gifts. It seems like a good place to pause here because over the last few weeks, we've talked about several characters that were part of Jesus' early life and a lot of different characters that have come to worship Jesus. Let's take an inventory real quick of the people and the backgrounds of the people that worship Jesus. So who do you think was first to worship Jesus? Probably Joseph and Mary, right? They were the first ones there after all. And so who were Joseph and Mary? Joseph was a carpenter. Mary was uh, the, the mother of Jesus. She got to give birth to Jesus, but she was very young at the time. Joseph was probably a little bit older than Mary, but they were, they were both Jewish men and women, and they, uh, they were, were kind of poor, too. They didn't have loads of money. They came from the line of David, but that was kind of a forgotten line of the, the Jews. Then you had the, the shepherds, right? That, that were probably the next ones that we hear about in the Christmas story that came and, and visited Jesus. The shepherds were a little different than Mary and Joseph. They were maybe of the same economic uh, sphere. They, they made about the same amount of money. They were both poor. Uh, but these shepherds were rough men. They lived outside. They took care of sheep. They, they probably smelled like they lived outside and, and took care of sheep. And they came and worshipped Jesus. Uh, who's next? Then, then we got Simeon, right? Simeon's even more different than Joseph and Mary, and even different, more different than the shepherds. Simeon spent most of his time in the temple. He was an elderly man who, who was probably of a different economic status than, than Mary and Joseph and the 
shepherds. He was probably a, a little bit more considered more scholarly, more intelligent, more knowledgeable than, than Mary and Joseph and the, and the shepherds. And then there was Anna, who, who was a, a Jewish elderly lady, 84 years old, um, who, who was a widow. She was married for eight years, and then she was widowed for the rest of her, her life, and she got to worship the baby. And now, now we have the Magi, foreigners from a, from a, a faraway land who were extremely wealthy, had come Jesus. This is remarkable. If you just take that inventory there, most of the promises of the Old Testament were spoken to Jewish people. And yet you here you have people from all different backgrounds. You have men and women, young and old, Jew and Gentile, coming to worship the Savior. Most of the promises in the Old Testament were given to the Jewish people, yet God had foretold from a long time ago that this baby would be for all people. For all nations, he said in Isaiah 60, verse 3, this was our Old Testament lesson for today, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. People of all social standing, people of all economic background, people of all ethnicities, of all ages, will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. This wasn't an accident. This wasn't the only time God said something about this in the Old Testament. Isaiah said again in Isaiah 49, verse 6, It is too small of a thing for you to be my servant, talking to Jesus here, to restore the tribes of Jacob, that was the Jewish people, and to bring back those of Israel I have kept, also the Jewish people. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. The gospel, Jesus, was always for all people. So look around our congregation here. We're, we're kind of small right now, right? Um, but our congregation is a small microcosm of what Jesus and God is talking about in his, his word here. None of you have the same story. All of you come from different backgrounds. You're different ages. We have men and we have women. We, we have old people, we have young people. I'm not going to determine the age of the old people and the young people here. We have people from different, different ethnic backgrounds, different cultural makeup. You, you come from different places. You have so many differences in interests, in, in professions, in skills, and talents. And yet, we are all here. We are all here to worship the light. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. You are here to worship and I am here to worship because no matter what our difference is, we all recognize that we need the light. <laughs> that without Jesus, who is our light, we would be living in darkness. We'd be living in the darkness of sin, the darkness of disgrace, the darkness of spiritual death, the darkness of unbelief. We'd be in a pitch black room with just sitting there longing for light to break through and we would have none without Jesus. 
We have all kinds of differences, all different backgrounds and everything, yet we all have this one thing in common, that we were born in darkness, we were born in in sin, and we all need the light. That's why Epiphany is such a great thing to celebrate, because on Epiphany, we celebrate that Jesus has been revealed, has appeared for us. He has been the light that broke through the darkness, the light that we so desperately needed. And so that light in your life is forgiveness. <laughs> because without forgiveness, you would still be living in your sin. Without forgiveness, you'd still be defined by your sin, consumed by your sin, controlled by your sin, but through Jesus' life, through Jesus' death, and through Jesus' resurrection, you have been forgiven, and that is light that drives away the darkness. That light is life. There's a reason why we wear black to funerals. Darkness is death, but Jesus came to bring life. Through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, he has given to you life. (laughs) More than just earthly life here, but the hope of eternal life in heaven. The Magi knew that. They knew that as they came to worship the king, as they came to worship their savior. This was not just a savior for someone else. This wasn't just a savior for the Jews. But the Magi knew that this Savior was for them. This was their Savior for their forgiveness, for their hope, and for their life. On Epiphany, that's what God wants you to know. That this isn't just someone else's Savior. (laughs) This is your Savior for your forgiveness, for your hope, and for your life. Have you ever wondered how far the the Magi traveled to come and see Jesus? It it was a thought that I had as I was reading through this text. And it's maybe a hard question to answer because all it says is that they came from the east. We have a lot of different guesses about where they might have come from. But it just says that they came from the east. But even if our our, uh, shortest distance guess is correct. They still had to travel a significant distance on foot or by camel or by donkey or whatever they they came on to to come to Jerusalem. They still had to travel a significant distance to come and see and worship Jesus. And so this got me thinking, why? What would cause these, these very rich and wealthy men who were living presumably fairly comfortable lives to, to leave everything behind and to follow a star in the sky to come and worship a baby. Maybe you've had that question too, and it's probably a, a good question, but maybe at first we need to say this. There is a lot of mystery that surrounds this story, right? There's a lot of things that we wish we knew about the Magi that we just don't know. There's a lot of questions we want answered that we just don't have at least full definitive answers to, but here's one that's worth pursuing for a little bit. How did they even know about the Messiah in the first place? Who told them? Well, maybe that question, we got to go back even further. 
to the time of the exile. So here, here's your short history lesson for this morning. The, in Israel at the time, there was a northern and a southern kingdom. And in the 700s BC, the northern kingdom was attacked by the Assyrians and they were carried off into exile. So they're gone. They're, they're in captivity. The southern kingdom of Judea lasted a little bit longer, but in 586 BC, they were carried off into exile by the Babylonians. So both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Israel were all carried off into captivity. The Babylonians were only in control of the world for a very short amount of time, about 100 years. And then the Persians came to be the world power at the time. And so the prophets of the Old Testament uh, lived, many of them lived through this exile, through the reign of the Babylonians or the reign of the, the Persians. Daniel was one of those guys. You maybe remember Daniel a little bit. It's a popular story you learn when you're li very little. Daniel in the lion's den, right? Daniel was thrown into this lion's den and, and God saved them, him miraculously by shutting the mouths of the lions. That happened while the Persians were reigning. Well, God blessed Daniel in his time with the Babylonians and with the, the Persians. But after he, he was thrown into the lion's den, he was given a position of authority, of leadership by the Persian king because God was blessing Daniel. And so Daniel was put in charge of the king's council, the advisors. He was put in charge of the, the magi, the wise men. 500 years before these wise men would come and visit Jesus, Daniel was the leader of these wise men. So let me just propose a question. Could it be that Daniel taught these magi, these wise men, 500 years prior about the Messiah, about Jesus, about the light to all people? Could it be that the, the seed of the gospel that Daniel planted in these wise men's hearts was still bearing fruit 500 years later? Well, well, it certainly seems like it, huh? Look at the gifts that they brought. They brought to Jesus gold, a gift that you would give to a king. They brought to him incense. Incense was something that you would burn in the temple when you were praying to God because it was the prayers going up to God. Incense was a gift you would give to, to someone who was God. They were giving this to Jesus because he was God. And, and myrrh was, was a perfume that you would use to prepare a body for burial. It sure seems like they knew who Jesus was and what he came to do. Might this be an encouragement for us here in Brandon? You might be very diligent in sharing your faith with somebody. You might be very good at working God's word into conversations with people or inviting people to church, but you may have not seen immediate results from your work. Does that mean that the light is not powerful? What story would prove that to be false? The light is powerful. Persia was a place that was stuck in darkness, worshiping false gods and immorality. And yet, Daniel planted the seed of the gospel. And 500 years later, these people are coming to worship Jesus. 
and giving him gifts. The gospel is working in hearts, changing lives, changing hearts, and literally moving hearts miles upon miles to come and worship Jesus. Might this be encouragement for us in Brandon to recognize that this light indeed is powerful, that the word that you speak to people is powerful, that the invitations that you give to people are powerful to, to come here and to listen and to worship, that, that we should stay close to the light and that we should continue to be the light in our lives. So, so be the light in your community. Be the light in your family, to your spouse, to your kids, to your in-laws. And be the light in your workplace or to your friends or to your neighbors. Being the light is a little bit more than what the world would say that is. If you hear people say in our world today, be the light, they're saying, be positive, be happy, be a smiley face. Those are all good things, but when we're talking about being the light, we're talking about letting people see Christ through what we say and through what we do. That we want to be the best spouse that we can possibly be. The best parent we could possibly be. The best in-law we could possibly be. We're going to be the best worker that a boss ever had or the best boss that a worker ever had. We're going to be the best neighbor that, that anybody has ever had ever because we want to be the light so that people may see our good deeds and through them they might see a glimpse of the light of Christ because that light is powerful. Let's say a prayer this morning and let's ask God to help us in our endeavor to share the light of the gospel with people, but to also be the light through our words and through our actions in this life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for being the light in our life and for rescuing us from darkness. Continue to shine in our lives. Forgive our sins and give us hope. Help us, Lord, as we seek to let your light shine through our lives. Help our lives to reflect your love and help our lives to reflect that you came to be the light for all people from all backgrounds. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.